road. You don't have to, you know, sell your teeth and move into a squat in order to live life. You just have to attend to the community you're in and be aware of people around you. And, and I find that, you know, privilege has a way of insulating you from having to deal with that. Joe Hill was a union organizer in the USA. He was murdered by the forces of reaction. The enemies have changed there. This song deals with the needs of ordinary people then and now for a better life now and not after death. One, two, three, four. And, and you're forced, if you're intelligent or concerned, to weed through what's true and what's not. And mm-hmm. if you're not, uh, you know, of a questioning mind, then it just goes right through or right straight into your brain and you don't question anything, which that's a whole different topic about education as far as I'm concerned. But Yeah, absolutely. You don't and learn think- critical thinking. You don't you yeah. don't do it, you know. So. And also just being able to educate, your, educate yourself. And Rich was talking earlier about, you know, the, the great working class autodidact, you know, and I think mm-hmm. that as a, as a kind of, as a breed, mm-hmm. we've, we've lost that certainly um, in this country, we've lost that because they've closed the libraries. Um, they've priced education out of most people's reach. Um, and the skills that they teach at school when you have education are not geared towards analytical or critical thinking. You're mm-hmm. not encouraged to be curious. You're encouraged to learn and memorize facts. Mm-hmm. And so all of this is, it, it, and it's very dispiriting. And so it's not people, you know, people talk about, you know, over here, people talk smack about the white working classes and how, how ignorant to the white working classes and how socially unaware. I'm like, well, it's been done to them. They didn't arrive like yeah. this. They have the same wonderful potential as every other human being. This has been done to them and it's been done to them deliberately. And so when you get to an age when you're not, and because you have to work so early as well. I mean, most people I know when I was at college were, were working while they were not, not at university, but, but at college, just mm-hmm. to be able to support themselves and their family and, and you know, to have any level of kind of um, independence to buy things like textbooks. Yeah. And, you know, once once you once you're working every hour, God sends and you're physically exhausted and you have to keep working just that little bit harder to get at that information. To, it, no wonder people give up. It's easier, particularly if there's, you know, 59 channels on TV or you've got mm-hmm. Facebook. It's just easier to give up. And you can't blame people for that. I mean, I slightly do blame some people for that. <laughs> but but you you can't really you understand the desperation that people are living with you you blame them in mass not necessarily one at a time <laughs> yeah but yeah i think that you know that the idea of that sort of that self-educating working class person and, and the desire to be curious and to learn i think we all we'll have that we all start off with that but it's, it gets beaten out of us and you're very persistent and stubborn if you stick with it. <laughs> well, I mean, I think about like things like the whole folk movement and then mm-hmm. into rock and roll and then into the whole punk thing. And, you know, it's all been an adapt and adapting to whatever is going on in the world, obviously. But it's also in its delivery, like it's gone from where it started to you know, through these channels to now you can see Pussy Riot and Tom Morello on YouTube 
in graphic detail and glory and blood and guts and, you know, whatever. And that's, you know, there's a message in that and it's about rebellion and, and fighting, you know, the system that message hasn't changed, but the way it's being delivered has changed. It's a lot more strong, but the problem is the messengers, the ones doing the propaganda have used the same tools and they're trying to be smarter about it too. And they go in through your brain as well through repetition and, you know, whatever else. And it's just, it's like a chess match that none of us can have any real say so about, you know, and that's the question, I guess, is how, how do we say so nowadays, I guess, is what, you know, the ultimate question is. Mm. I wonder if, you know, that poetry, I'm always, I'm always pitching that, you know, because when all you've got is a hammer, all you see are nails. I do think that poetry offers one sort of place of response. And I think largely because, you know, the middle classes keep trying, they try very, very hard and, you know, sort of literary elites, but they can't quite control it or keep a lid on it and it's not quite glamorous enough for them to really want it I mean poetry audiences are vanishingly small yeah. and our books don't really sell yeah. and that's actually our great strength <laughs> well, what's interesting is um, several weekends ago I went to an organizer's training at Unite Here Local mm -hmm. 11 they represent the hospitality industry workers and um, in one of the uh, workshops was about uh, you are on the job and you want to organize your fellow workers. And uh, one of the ways of approaching them is to find out what their grievances are mm -hmm. and to get them to articulate their grievances and write them down and write them down in a way that they would enjoy writing them down. Mm -hmm. So there is like a, there is a basis for, poetry writing writing down your grievances at work mm -hmm. and uh, that is uh, you know they all you know the standard workshop workshop 101 poetry workshop is like write what you know mm -hmm. well most people know their work yeah. and it's not I mean although you are directed away from writing about that to writing about how you were feeling that day mm. about uh, whatever it is, you know, without saying what is the source of those feelings? Mm. Why yes. do you feel that way? Because you just don't have those feelings don't come. If you are unhappy and dissatisfied, uh, it has a, it ha there's a reason for that. Mm -hmm. Maybe it is your, maybe it is your family or your relationship, but the fact is we spend most of our waking hours at work. Mm -hmm. And that is where we are going to be finding most of our pleasures or uh, dissatisfactions and suffering. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I always think I used to have uh, like a sticker and it had, I thought I was depressed, but then I realized it was capitalism just in mm -hmm. time. Um, and, you know, it's kind of slightly facetious, but I think it's true that I, I also think that what neoliberalism is really great at doing and what the whole sign of mindfulness cult has done yes is it's allowed us to imagine that the feelings of alienation and depression are, are something defective within us and that we can solve by mm -hmm. sitting in a circle and going on and, and buying a pumpkin spice latte, but rather than, you know, agitating for systemic change because it's caused by the system that we're mm. in. 
And so I always think that's one of, you know, neoliberalism's nicest, kind of most sneakiest maneuvers is just yeah, to try yeah, to, you yeah. know, to sort of absent you. Well, you're not, and to change the language in which we talk about it as well. So you're not desperately unhappy because of your job. Oh, you're just, you're just tired or you're stressed. Stressed mm-hmm. is my least favorite. Everyone's yeah. stressed. They're like, no, we're just, I'm about to have a coronary because I'm so overworked. I haven't slept. <laughs> more than four hours in a month you know and you can't articulate your grievance and you're not allowed because where where do you go with that particularly if you're you know you're a kind of service worker or you're on a casualized contract and you you can unionize you can't you know and, and a lot of people have never been given the not only been given the tools to articulate themselves but the the opportunity and the permission nobody's ever told you it's okay Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, what poetry is wonderful for, is it's a great giver of permission that you can sit down and you can write this. You can be as angry as you like here. This is the place for your rage. That's all my poetry comes from rage. That's <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful rage, though. It's, it's yeah sometimes it's more mainly just rage though um but I, I also think and acknowledging where acknowledging where that comes from and being able to say that it's okay it's okay to look at your life and think well this is not fair and this is shitty and I'm going to say so and I think that's one of the things that poetry can do at its best and it's what it should be doing in all of these kind of workshops I sort of have slight feelings about how the poetry workshop in, in and of itself has slightly been colonized as well. It, by it's the sort true. Of, yeah, it has. It has. Absolutely. I was going to ask if that's something that's happened in the States, too, if you think that that's something that, you know, that well, been this, this might tie in a little bit, Richard, because I, in doing my research, I, you know, I, I, I'll tell you this. And I don't know if you've ever heard it, but you should have. You know, that the, the opening story you tell on the sparring with ghosts about mm-hmm. taking the trip um, mm-hmm. to Hiroshima yes. w- was about one of the most touching things I've listened to in quite some time. Um, I, I, I had to actually walk away and kind of digest it. Um, so um, I want to tell you that personally, but, yeah, you. you know, things like um, that and like the writers resist stuff which mm-hmm. I don't even know if they still are around, but I, I wouldn't consider something like writers resist a workshop. You know, I see that as more of a collection of, of artists, you know, building that community. And, and I think that gets to what you're saying too, Fran, in that, you know, the biggest battle for us is that it's individualism. You know, mm-hmm. we're being taught to tear down the community and here we are struggling to try to build communities like the Beast Crawl or, you know, uh, or um, the stuff that happens all over at Beyond Baroque and, you know, uh, Writers Resist and all these different things that, you know, that that we're using to help to build that community, including some of the technical tools that we use today. And I'm wondering if you guys feel like I'm on track with that view and that it actually is kind of a good thing. Well, you know, it's as for writers resist speaking personally, it wasn't militant enough for me. (laughs) I don't think that uh, it was basically surrounded. The focal point of writers resist was the depredations that were being visited upon the United States by Donald Trump. 
Right. And he was just, uh, you know, he was, so maybe he was, he, he was perhaps the worst, but uh, his predecessor, to my way of thinking, was not that great. Right. Let's be, I'm going to be quite honest about mm -hmm. that. I mean, he was uh, basically, uh, Barack Obama put a, uh, a nice face on neoliberalism. You could say it was yeah. neoliberalism with a friendly face. And mm -hmm. Donald Trump took the mask off and you could see yeah. what you could see exactly what what it was about. Mm -hmm. And um, so replacing Donald Trump with some kinder, gentler, gentler mm -hmm. president uh, is not doesn't work for me, quite frankly. The system is the same. Yeah, yeah, the system is the same. I mean, it's sure. And I don't want to sound like, you know, a third period uh, Stalinist about this, but, <laughs> um, you know, that you have that you vote out a a bad a, a horrible president and vote in a lesser evil is not going to make a, a, a the kind of difference that we need i mean it relieves things sure we absolutely need to have that relief we have to it, it's i i will say quite frankly that it is better to have somebody who acknowledges the science of COVID, for example mm -hmm. that we are in an actual pandemic than somebody that denies it that's an improvement yeah. But that is not going to solve uh, the fundamental problem. No. no, I always wonder with with the sort of when Donald Trump and the people's outrage, it was it was less, you know, that Donald Trump was was this terrible person. It was more that you could see that he was a terrible person. Mm -hmm. It's like people getting angry when you know you're being a vegan. Are very often people are like, well, why are you a vegan? And so you tell them mm -hmm. about the meat industry, and then they get upset with you, and you're like, well. <laughs> People weren't, you know, upset that that Trump was president. They were upset that now they had to look at the filth and the shit. And I think Obama was, was again, he was a human toupee. He was a human fig leaf over neoliberalism. That's what he was for, you know, smiley kind of happy rainbow capitalist face on all of that rotting mess. Well, and I, I don't believe that if if Obama had been allowed another reign. <laughs> that I don't think that today would be very different at all than the way it is mm -hmm. exactly today. You know, if there had never been a Donald Trump and there had been another Obama, it would have been the same difference. Yeah. You know, the, the mm -hmm. government as it stands is not, it was not equipped to handle what it got thrown at, at them because they were too busy spending money to all their buddies, you know, and giving away tax money, you know? Yeah. I mean, from over here, what it very much looked like because we have the sort of disgusting kind of you know, Donald Trump and we have the lovely Boris Johnson. And I think what they <laughs> did do together as a kind of comedy double act without the laughs is legitimated a particular kind of like explicitly toxic way of talking about other human beings. Yes. Mm -hmm. sort of exactly. Nakedly racist, nakedly mm -hmm. misogynistic, nakedly homophobic, just absolutely vile. And I think that they're, you know, the way in which they're worse is that now those people, all the people that hold those horrible opinions, no longer feel ashamed. Yes, they feel like yes. they've had their they've had their moment in the sun, and now they can come and say that. And in a way, I'd rather know. In a way, I'd rather know that my you know my neighbors hate me. <laughs> I'd rather know and not have somebody smile. But I I also feel that we've lost 
we've lost something and I think there's, there's a basic decency in human discourse that has been lost and that's that's their great kind of you know that's their well, great I, contribution I think another thing that's been lost that's really important is the desire and or need to ever write anything else about Donald Trump period as far as yeah. I'm concerned unless it's him going to jail <laughs> you know mm. don't feel well, you know to tie up this discussion of Trump, he did leave behind in the U.S. Trumpism. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, at his, his rally about a month ago, as a rally in a small town in Alabama, uh, on a rainy Sunday afternoon, attracted 30 to 40,000 people. And could, could uh, Biden or Harris attract that number of people in a small town on a rainy Sunday afternoon? I doubt it. Maybe Bernie could attract a few more or AOC, but well, but they would have to go. They'd have to go like to Birmingham or a big city. They couldn't just do it. Yeah, anywhere. well, but my my larger point and, and they, of course, when he did say something rational about you should get vaccinated, they booed him for a few seconds. Right. That was all that the media focused on here was that he got mm. booed for a few seconds. Yeah, as well, and what they don't tell us. As though, as though there was some kinder, rational Donald Trump emerging. Well, as soon as they booed, he backtracked, you know, over <laughs> yeah, the course well, of the next three of minutes. Course, but, 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 you know, the larger point that I'm trying to make is there is now, like Fran was saying, there is now permission granted mm -hmm. by the four years of Donald Trump to be openly and nakedly racist and homophobic. Mm -hmm. uh, and... Uh, to know that there is somebody out there that thinks that you're right, that, that, oh yes, you, 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 you are now be, you can speak the truth. You can be racist. You can be homophobic and it's okay. Yeah. It's acceptable. And um, that is the destruction that he left. That is something that we have to live with. Well, and, uh, and you know, this, he he left the, the 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 bombs to explode over the course yeah. of time, but at the same time he did expose this underlying proto-fascist layer of American society that has been there and will well it's it, it it was always there except that it was on the margins and now it's more central to American discourse than it ever was before and I mean in my to me this was like astonishing I I actually. Mm became a victim of complacency and thinking that they will never take center stage again. Mm. And I admit now that I was wrong about that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, I, the, the thing that I've wrestled with through all this, Richard, and, and I'm sure you m might be able to relate is I just feel like everything that has been touted as progress throughout my entire life from, you know, civil rights to abortion to, you know, equal rights for many, many, many other people, you know, acceptance in different communities, all this stuff that, that's changed, you know, and for the better, all of a sudden, one at a time has been systematically ripped away. And it's like, well, over the course of these almost 60 years now, everything that was progress is going away. Well, I don't want to, I, don't want to encourage any kind of uh, defeatist uh, attitude toward this. Right. To me, as I see it, it's under siege and right. it has to be defended. I mean, I mean, it's, I actually am defending institutions that I would never have defended before exactly. simply because they are a sort of a, uh, um, a dam 
that needs to be maintained because we now do have the we have a raging flood flood water of uh, proto-fascism on the other side of that so now i yes i think it is it is def worth defending um uh pro-choice abortion rights absolutely, absolutely no matter how constrained and with all of the all of the uh, uh restraints that have been put upon it even that is better than having it wiped out and, and also, and also, I would like to emphasize that if you have that, you can build out from it. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah. and that you know that feeling has driven me harder in the past year to get educated and to get informed and to find out how I can be involved because I have my own physical and mental limitations <laughs> in what I can do. You know, part of it is I, as a convicted felon, I was always concerned about getting arrested again. So I didn't go to protest, you know. Well, that's kind of stupid, you know, um, but I, I just didn't know better, you know. And now I know better and I'm, in, and I'm enthused about that. And I really appreciate people like you who can, you know, willingly teach and tell the story and kind of help guide along that path because I know that I'm not alone and there's many much younger than me who have no clue. You know, you, you know, you've seen more than me and I've seen more than Fran and Fran's seen a different kind of more than both of us, you know, so yeah. it's, a, it's a beautiful thing, actually. What do you think, Fran? Yeah, I just think it's talking. Talking is so important and just making the space to have these kind of conversations and to share with with other people just your history and your experience but also you know ideas and just knowing that however sort of solitary and despairing you might feel sometime and I think this is particularly important in the arts because we're very often isolated you know I sort of feel that you know with writing although a lot of my you know my, my editorial work and certainly you know my kind of activism work is about bringing other artists and writers together um, my own writing sort of it, it isolates you and you live alone in your own head so it's very very important to kind of step out of that and to talk mm -hmm. to other people mm -hmm. and I think that that's how we survive that's how we win we're not alone you know yes and um, for somebody of my generation for radical activists mm. of my generation um the fact that there are Fran Locks in the world uh, makes it seem like uh, it was worthwhile to stick my neck out as I've done over the years. Right. That there is a there there are generations that will carry on. That yeah, is yeah. above all uh, at my age is the most encouraging thing. Yeah, I think I agree. I mean, I. Not that, you know, I'm the reason to carry on, but that I look at people, the generation <laughs> below me. And I, I did a workshop quite, quite, quite recently about writing rage. And, and there was this amazing, you know, this, this amazing poet. She came with this, this kind of like her angry black woman poem, she, mm -hmm. she called it. And it, but it was, it was phenomenal. It was astonishing. I, very, very rarely that I am left speechless. <laughs> and you know she's sort of finished and she's waiting for feedback and I, I just there was nothing to say because it was just this peerless kind of piercing crystal of sheer fury and I wanted to take that poem and I wanted to make everybody read it that was my just you have to read this poem you have to read this poem and that gave me hope and you realize that there are people who are 
they, they find you and they find each other and they're finding their voice and that's that's reason to hope that's you know enough light to see by you know I think it's awesome. I still want to um, hear more from that girl at some point too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Richard, if let's um, let's close it out, but let's do a final question real quick. If you sure. you know, because between Fran and myself, well, I think we know quite a few really relatively young poets and writers, artists of various sorts. Um, if you were to offer a piece of advice on how to take that creativity and use it as, you know, a, a definitive like action step for how to put that into practice today, what would you tell them? Well, I would say above all, start with what, oops, <laughs> Sorry, my little cat. She, she killed your video. <laughs> well, here I'm back again. I, I would say that 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 you should start with what gets you by the throat, and turn. You know, they poetry is directed emotion, so that emotion of rage, anger, whatever. Start with that, and find the words that embody that 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 rage that 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 would be one place to start and then you can worry about the craft of it afterward but start with that start with what that immediately that start with that fire in your belly and put it into words and then uh work on it from there tailor it to a way in a, in a way that you think will reach other people but never give up that original initial inspiration that got you in that state in the first place. Awesome. Fran, you want to add anything to that? No, I think that's about the most perfect. Description I, I agree. Heard. And then, but just, you know, once you've done that, go and show it to other people because yes. you will probably find that they are harboring very similar mm -hmm. feelings. Absolutely. Well, I hope we're sharing some good words with all the folks out there. I appreciate you guys being there. I'm going to go ahead and stop the recording, but we can sit okay. tight. Thanks, right. everybody, for being with us. We appreciate you being here, and we will see you next time on Social Yet Distance. Thanks for being here. Hi, it's me, Jack. The Social Yet Distance podcast is supported by the Social Yet Distance Podcast Collective. You can find us and all the information about us at socialyetdistance.com. You'll find out information about how to support us through our, all our social media, through the purchase of broadsides and books and multiple levels of merchandise and art. Um, we also have available ways to support the podcast through membership. So come by socialyetdistance.com, take a look, see how you can support us, keep us plugging your ears while we plug the airwaves. Thanks for being here. We appreciate you. Look forward to seeing you next time. Mm -hmm.